CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Major Garrett, yes, CBS, yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this most amazing program known as The Takeout, where everyone listening and watching knows it is two things principally. What are those two things? Relentlessly curious, steadfastly non-ideological. You find this podcast, this show, lots of different ways. Of course, CBSN, hello, still working from home on Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124. Great to have you with us. Thanks for listening on great radio stations around our country, now more than 70. And of course, you early adopters on the podcast platform, thanks for finding us early and giving us all the fuel we've had and needed to succeed. Our guest this week, Republican Congressman Mike McCall, 10th District of Texas. He is the ranking Republican on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Mike, it's good to talk to you. How are you? No, Major, uh, thanks for having me. It's great. Uh, Mike or Congressman, which do you prefer? Uh, yeah, it's Michael. Okay, Michael. Very good. (laughs) And Congressman. We'll do there. So I know you have a lot of things you want to say about China, and we're going to get to those things, I promise. But it is a political year. Politics is everywhere. And according to the President of the United States, a great deal is at stake. The future of the economy, uh, the future of the direction of the pandemic, the future of national security if Joe Biden is elected. So let's get to some political things right off the top. First of all, I'm sure you've read about it. There's a new campaign manager for the Trump campaign, Brad Parscale, demoted. He's from San Antonio. You, I suspect, know him at least somewhat well. Your reaction? You know, I think uh, the president's a little bit frustrated. He he likes to get out uh, with the people, uh, really uh, gets energized by these rallies. And I think he's very frustrated with the COVID-19 pandemic and inability to connect with the people directly. Um, I don't know when that's really going to change. I, I think he wanted to take the campaign in a different direction. My guess is that uh, Jared Kushner may have had something to do with this. Um, obviously, Jared. Well, and you Ivanka, can be certain of that, Congressman. You can be absolutely <laughs> certain of that. That's uh, you know, Jared really is is the uh, the brains behind the machine uh, in in the the campaign in the White House, as you know. I think it was his uh, ability to reach out by social media that probably is the reason why he got elected in the first place. So he is a, a bit of the mastermind behind the scene. So do you think Parscale suffered after Tulsa? Yeah, I think so. I, I know, uh, um, look, again, Ivanka and Jared are power players behind the scenes. And uh, I know that uh, they were both very upset with the way uh, they, they talked up that rally and a very disappointing turnout, um, and it obviously didn't go as well as they had hoped, and I think they want to take it in a different direction now. 
from your vantage point, is this camp campaign, this re-election campaign running on all cylinders? No, uh, not at all. I, I, I think, you know, I think no one's election campaign is running on all cylinders. We're, we're both, we're all very um, sort of uh, disabled by COVID-19. It's hard to um, get out with the people. It's hard to raise money as you have to do to get reelected. Um, and, but you know, what I've found is that, um, at least for myself, uh, using, you know, technology to reach out to the people, it can be very effective if you do it right. And, and so, you know, I, I can stay in one place like here in Austin and uh, meet, uh, you know, thousands of people, you know, by technology and, and, and deliver my message by technology. And so, and, you know, the, the, I did a telephone town hall last night with about 100,000 people. You know, the thing is, Major, everybody's at home right now. So when you call, when you call, they answer, actually. They're a captive audience, no doubt. They are. They are. They're not really going anywhere. Right. You've got an opponent now, Mike Siegel. Are you going to win? Yeah, uh, I, I think so. He's um, very definable. You know, God love him. He is very passionate about, you know, being a, a, a Bernie Sanders uh, acolyte, Elizabeth Warren, a true AOC disciple, I don't think in Texas 10 that's going to fly very well. So we'll be able to define him and his views. And um, um, But, you know, I like to run a positive campaigns, not, not about my opponent, but about me, uh, my record of effectiveness in the Congress, my bi bipartisanship. I Politico named me the most bipartisan member of Congress from Texas and the third most effective in the House. And I think that that's what my constituents want to hear. And that's what they want out of their congressmen. Texas a battleground state this time? I, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about that. I think you got to go back and look at the last election cycle. Look, he had a top of the ticket with Beto uh, energizing um, his base, straight party ticket voting. You know, Cruz is up there, you know, not uh, exactly maybe the most likable guy out there and didn't really get our exactly. people out. And, uh, well, that's all I'm going to say. It was not helpful. <laughs> So what I had was millennials coming out for Beto voting straight party ticket. Put in perspective, Mike Siegel had 6% name ID and he got 48% on election day. There's something strange about that. So you don't see that replicating in 2020. You don't see Texas as a true battleground state, even though Biden and his campaign, it's not as if they have money that's just lying around. They're dropping money in Texas. They must see something. I, I do think you got to keep an eye on Texas. I think it, we got to take it seriously, and I have. You know, I've got about 80 high school, college uh, volunteers, great kids out there, um, been working very hard. Um, I do think, you know, look at the poll numbers. It, it um, I do think Trump wins Texas. Question is by how much and what that down ballot effect is going to be. I do think uh, Senator Cornyn is going to be more stabilizing at, at the top of the ticket. Uh, and I think he'll be helpful for me down ballot. For you, is the president a net positive, neutral, or net negative? I think uh, he does a couple of things. Uh, unlike last election, our base will show up. Uh, they won't. They won't sit it out like they did last time. So he will energize uh, my party to show up at, at the polls. But major, um, let's be honest, he's going to energize the other side too. Uh, so you're going to have that effect where I think you're going to have a pretty good sized turnout on both sides of the aisle. For me, you know, if he's uh, winning, winning my district, which 
uh, the, the polls I have seen, he is. Uh, what I like is that with these kids, I have uh, knocking door to door, making phone calls. My favorables are much higher than the president's and, and John Cornyn, for that matter. And so I, I feel um, I feel pretty good about this one. The Republican convention shifted from Charlotte to, to Jacksonville, Florida, appears to be shrinking before our very eyes. Are you going to go? Um, if it, if uh, yeah, I, I was there last time. Um, I plan to show up this time. I, I, I talked to, um, you know, the, the campaign finance uh, manager for the, the event, uh, for the convention uh, yesterday. He thinks it's going to go forward. I, but I do think we're going to have to be smart about it. I do think, you know, masks are going to be important because I, I think even going into August, this virus is still not going to be, it's not going to be gone. Um, and I think we need to be uh, following CDC guidelines and the masks. Um, I would um, hate for that to blow back in any way where there's a perception that Republicans don't want to follow the rules on this. And I, I think wearing a mask, you know, I got one right here and I wear it every time I go out in public and it's, very important that people wear their masks. I talked to one Republican today who said, you know, some of the Republican National Committee men and women are a little bit nervous. He said, I understand why they're nervous. It could be like walking into a COVID Petri dish. Is that a little bit uh, hyperbolic or do you think there's something to that? Look, I think anytime you have a public gathering of people from all over the nation, uh, you're going to, it increases a risk factor. So I am concerned about it. Um, you know, I think we should rely on, on the doctors on this one. Um, is it truly safe? I know the president, though, very much wants to go full steam ahead. And, um, you know, maybe a lot of people will be participating virtually. Uh, but I do think you'll have people, speakers at the convention live. Um, I just think it's important we follow the CDC guidelines. Very good. That's the voice of Mike McCall. Republican Congressman, 10th District of Texas. Stay tuned for segment two of The Takeout coming up in just a minute. In retrospect, in 2020's hindsight, um, but we all know it could have flattened the curve if people would just simply wear a mask. It's not a very difficult thing to do. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back, those of you on CBSN. Welcome back to my dining room uh, slash uh, perpetual office during the pandemic. As I say each and every week, for those of you who are on the front lines working in whatever capacity, healthcare, grocery stores, first responders, be well, be safe. Know we deeply appreciate the work that you're doing. For those of us who can work from home, we're going to continue to do that. And as the Congressman Mike McCall, our special guest, said in the last segment, we're going to wear our masks and our face coverings because it helps. Not just marginally, it helps quite a bit. Uh, anything else you want to amplify about that, Congressman? I think the, uh, you know, uh, there was a lot of debate early on about masks, but it clearly, uh, you know, the M95 is the best, but it, it protects uh, others from you. If you have it, M95, 95% protects you. Uh, and so I, I think it's... Um, you know, in my state, it's it's mandatory, and I think that was the right decision um, to protect uh, the health, welfare, and safety of, of Texans. And, um, you know, I, for those who defy that, I think it's defying science itself. 
You mentioned in Texas, uh, on this very program, several weeks ago, we talked to Mayor Steve Adler. And at that time, this was maybe two and a half months ago, he was advocating for a local requirement to wear masks. And the governor, Greg Abbott, overridden, overrode him, as he did other local leaders. In retrospect, was that a mistake? Well, I, I think, you know, the, the governor is uh, dealing with the data that's coming in. I think he made a decision to try to open up business. He's got a lot of pressure on his uh, from his base to do that. But he's all, he's getting hit from both sides of the aisle right now. Um, I do think wearing the mask is the right thing to do. I know Mayor Adler is a friend of mine. And um, on that one, I think the mayor is correct. I, I think, uh, you know, um, in retrospect, in 2020's hindsight, um, but we all know it could have flattened the curve if people would just simply wear a mask. It's not a very difficult thing to do. No, it's not. As, t- as Tom Hanks ha- said, a COVID survivor himself, these are his words, not mine, it is literally the least you can do. Yeah. I mean, it's very simple. And um, that, that's the world we live in. You know, I, I, this feels like a Twilight Zone episode that won't end, you know, Uh Last time we saw this is 1918, the Spanish flu, and um, which was devastating, 25 million people, and we had no science back then. I think I, I'm very, actually, major, very encouraged by. I talked to the FDA commissioner a couple of days ago. A lot of these treatments that are uh, about ready to come out, and the vaccine itself. We had good news from Moderna yesterday by going into phase three of the, of the vaccine. Um, whether it's going to be like a flu seasonal vaccine or a vaccine that maybe you have to take every year. I think when these treatments come out and the vaccine, that's the game changer. And that's when the economy starts to tick up. And going back to your political analysis, I think where the economy is in September, October is going to really determine um, politically. um, It it will weigh heavily in, in our elections. So to that end, do you believe it is imperative for Congress before its scheduled August break to pass yet another economic relief package and or stimulus? I do. And, and that, I, that's very strong on both sides of the aisle. I'll tell you the How one much? thing with all the acrimony, um, they'll probably, well, we have to replenish the paycheck protection program first and foremost. It's been a, been a very popular program to keep small business afloat, keep people on the payroll as we get through the crisis. So, that's something that will be a very easy decision on both sides of the aisle. There are other issues that uh, we're going to debate, uh, but it needs Job, to be jobless benefits. Jobless benefits. Well, I, 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 I know the administration keep the $600 to, plus up. Well, you know, you don't want to pay people so much that they have no incentive to, to work. Right. On the other hand, people are hurting. So I think you'll see another direct uh, payment check that will be bipartisan. And I think you'll, you'll see a negotiation on the $600. Um, and I know uh, Mnuchin um, is negotiating a compromise, maybe to bring that number down. Um, interestingly, in 2008, um, uh, that, that, uh, that unemployment was uh, far less than $600. It was like $20, $25 a week. Now, I think we can find a number that we can compromise on. I think the bottom line is, unlike the last package, that Pelosi put on the floor that was uh, had no input from Republicans, no input from her own members of Congress. It has to be bipartisan because at the end of the day, she knows that she has to get it passed by the Senate 
and signed into law by the president. So I promised a conversation about China, and uh, now it begins. So there are so many issues to deal with. First of all, you and those members of the Republican side of the aisle on the Foreign Affairs Committee put together a <clears throat> report about the origins of coronavirus, COVID-19. What China knew, what it didn't know, or what it held, withheld from the public, what it withheld from the World Health Organization. That forced the World Health Organization to actually revamp its own timeline about what it learned, how it learned, and from whom and when. In a nutshell, what did you learn and what are the ramifications of what you learned? Well, after SARS in 2004, the pandemic, the international health rules changed to require a 24-hour notification to the World Health Organization. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party utterly failed to do that. In fact, the way the WHO found out was through uh, internet reporting, uh, not from the Chinese Communist Party. And let me just take a back up. You know, this thing's uh, breaking in November, two-week incubation. The first cases are popping up in December. There are about eight doctors who are now reporting a SARS-like virus that's highly contagious, that looks like a pneumonia-type virus, and, and it's lethal. Um, how does the Chi Chinese Communist Party uh, respond? They, they go in, they arrest the doctors, detain them, get retractions, because they monitor their communications on WeChat. Uh, the Wuhan police show up and arrest, get retractions. The next thing they do is they go into the laboratories, destroy lab samples to try to cover this up and control uh, the investigation. And major, the worst thing they did was the human-to-human -human transmission, and that is that it's, it's highly infectious. Uh, Taiwan warns the WHO. Remember, Director General Tedros, who was the Chinese Communist Party's candidate in charge of the WHO, uh, kicked uh, Taiwan out as an observer in the WHO. Uh, his own expert in Wuhan major warned him that it was human-to-human, -human, and yet Tedros uh, decides to overrule his own expert and not issue what's called an international public health emergency. Uh, this uh, led to the, the spring New Year's festival in Wuhan and China, where you had 5 million people moving out of Wuhan throughout the country of China and then internationally. This is a point where even the most liberal university studies say we could have contained about 95% uh, but because they were not transparent, because they covered it up and lied about it, uh, it went from an epidemic to a global pandemic. I think China should be held accountable. I think there should be consequences. And I think what they did to the world, uh, we should not forget it. Define accountability, define consequences. Well, there are a whole lot of ideas about how to hold China accountable. I, I personally think, majors, I study this, it's going to be the, the market's going to uh, hold them accountable. You're going to see when we look at supply chain, you know, we look at medical supplies. Nobody realized how vulnerable and reliant we are on the Chinese government for PPE, for instance, or generics or antibiotics. Uh, they also, no one realized technology. Uh, I have a, a bill that's going to be on the National Defense Authorization to, and it's bipartisan, and I think this whole issue could be bipartisan, to help with semiconductor advances, bringing that manufacturing out of China and, and neighboring countries 
back to the United States and incentivize them through grant match programs, but also tax in, in incentives to get them to come back and, and create these advanced microchips that are involved in artificial intelligence, quantum computing, 5G with Huawei. We're in a great competition now with China on a global scale, and we got to do it smart. And when it comes to national security related items, we've got to bring these items back to the United States. That's the voice of Mike McCall, Congressman 10th District of Texas. He is also the ranking Republican on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Back for segment three of The Takeout in just a second. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Mike McCall, Congressman, 10th District of Texas, our special guest, ranking Republican Foreign Affairs Committee. Continuing the conversation about China, coronavirus, and other issues. So if I heard you correctly, Congressman, reputationally and economically, that's how China is going to be held accountable. The United States won't do anything other than that. Is that correct? Uh, now, I think uh, there are a lot of ways we can hold them accountable. That's something that our task, uh, chair of this China task force, we'll be looking at how can we hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable. But I do think, going back to my previous uh, comments, that I think you're seeing supply chains. Japan's moving everything out of China. Um, and you're seeing a lot of countries um, realizing that, that they were not operating in good faith. Uh, and that they don't want to be so reliant and vulnerable to China. One thing I'd like to mention, Major, that I think is really kind of fascinating that we did with this report. We translated it, the State Department translated it into Mandarin, Cantonese, and, and Uyghur Muslim. As you know, they persecute the Uyghur Muslims. And we were able to, through the technology office, penetrate the firewall into mainland China to get this report on social media platforms in mainland China, this report is going viral and through Voice of America as well. It's going viral in the country, so much so that when President Xi's spokesman had his last press conference, the first question they asked was about who is this congressman, uh, Michael McCall, what is this China task force, and what are your comments on this report? To me, that indicates it's obviously getting under their skin because we are telling the truth about what happened. I think the greatest fear the Chinese Communist Party has is not me or the United States. It is their own people and their own people learning the truth about their government. And uh, that's very powerful. So what about limiting the movement of Chinese Communist Party officials traveling to the United States? What about limiting, I've heard others who specialize in this region of the world, limiting university students coming to the United States, other kinds of cultural and economic interactions, all within the purview of this administration? Are those consequential actions that should be taken? Well, it's, 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 uh, that's a very interesting point. I think the travel ban got a lot of criticism, including from Tedros at the WHO, but that travel ban from China, I think, saved thousands of lives uh, in the United States. Uh, there is a concerted effort by the Chinese Communist Party to infiltrate our um, universities, to steal our research. Uh, we've seen a lot of indictments recently, one including a Harvard professor uh, indicted for espionage and MD Anderson in my state trying to steal like immunotherapy um, that was, was caught. And, um, 
So that's real. The Thousand Talents program is an espionage program. However, uh, this is where I may break a little bit with the administration. I've always been a big proponent of, look, if we're going to bring in H-1B visas, that, that'd be, you know, high skill STEM um, people. What we want to do, we don't want to brain drain out of this country. We want to bring the best and the brightest. I don't want a random lottery system to bring people randomly into the country. I want to bring the talent in from China and keep them here. Uh, you know, UT Austin down the road uh, where I'm speaking, yeah, we have a lot of really bright students that know all about quantum physics. You know, they know a lot about artificial intelligence. They're doing a lot of good research and development. And I think we need to win them over. And, you know, I'd rather them stay here and work for the United States rather than be denied and go back to our competitor and work against us. But we have to make sure when they come in, they're not uh, directly affiliated with the, you know, the, the People's Republic of China, the PLA, their army. There's also been quite a bit of commentary recently from the State Department about the South China Sea and China's assertion that it has control of the navigable waters there. The United States has now made it fundamentally clear it disagrees with that. China, China's assertions violate international law and maritime law. Is this a potential flashpoint? Yeah, and I don't think anyone wants a, a direct conflict in terms of military posture. I spoke with the head of the Pacific Command the other day and about our fleet in the Pacific. Um, but what China, just like with Hong Kong, they violated the, you know, the Sino-UK Treaty and essentially took over Hong Kong and they're going to influence their elections in September. We can't see that aggression happen in Taiwan. Uh, nor the South China Sea. And when you look at what they've done uh, with no legal basis, they've just literally gone in wholesale and taken over the South China Sea and all the islands. They're actually man manufacturing man-made islands, which is kind of interesting. A direct threat to the Philippines, Malaysia, Vietnam, Taiwan. Um, so I think, you know, the question is, how do you respond to that? Well, State Department said that their claim is not based in law or fact. Uh, there's no basic, you know, the, the law, uh, uh, law of the sea treaty that was signed between the Philippines and China. Uh, the tribunal sided with the Philippines on this. Um, I wouldn't be surprised though, Major, if you don't start seeing a little bit of muscle uh, on our part with Taiwan, perhaps doing things like joint military exercises. I think we got to take a strong stand at China that they know that if they do the same thing they did in Hong Kong with Taiwan, that we're not going to sit, you know, idly back on that one. Congressman, you uh, almost speak of Hong Kong in the past tense. Uh, do you yeah. think Hong Kong is effectively lost? Well, I don't because I, you know, I truly believe in, in democracy and freedom. And what the Chinese Communist Party has done in there is they've taken away the rights of the people, taken away their right to free speech taking away the right to protest like we have in this country. Um, and I always think democracies at the end of the day are going to win. But we're in a great global conflict geopolitically between totalitarian regimes like Russia, China, a communist dictatorship, Iran with the Ayatollah and North Korea, you know, a total where the people have no rights or freedom. It's all state controlled. Um, I think that is the challenge of this generation. 
and certainly the Chinese Communist Party is right square in the middle of this. I still hope that the people will be able to, to overcome this in Hong Kong. Um, but I don't think you're going to see us sending you know, our military into this operation. Um, we just have to defeat the ideas coming out of the Chinese government. Right. With all due respect, Congressman, you know under this new law that China has imposed on Hong Kong, the simplest, most mild, banal forms of dissent can lead you to prison and then be whisked away to the mainland for mm-hmm. a judicial proceeding, which is not a judicial proceeding by any Western standard at all. Yeah. How do you expect people to rise up against that when even when they don't rise up, when they do something that's just like holding a banner in front of themselves silently on the street, they can be whisked away, tried in China, and possibly imprisoned for a very long time? Well, I helped get through the Foreign Affairs Committee and in, uh, passed in Congress the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act, which led to the Hong Kong Autonomy Act, which mandates, uh, not in discretion, mandates sanctions on the Chinese Communist Party's uh, officials responsible for this national security law and this, this really nothing short of a takeover of Hong Kong. So you're going to see some strong sanctions coming out there. I hope that has some impact. We passed the Uyghur Muslim Bill, which, uh, you know, they put them in these indoctrination camps, nothing short of a concentration camp, according to our Department of Defense. And we've issued sanctions now against that. I think that's the first step major that we have to do. I don't think the first step is ever bring your military in. I think you got to work diplomacy, sanctions, and do everything you possibly can um, but I do think we need to empower the people of Hong Kong. And I, I'd like to see the UK. I know they're taking a bunch of Hong Kongers in as, as immigrants, but I'd like to see the UK uh, voice more concern about this takeover in the United Nations. Problem is, though, that China uh, really commands a lot of the key posts at the United Nations. And when you had the Human Rights uh, Council, uh, by a margin of two to one in the United Nations, approve of what the China Chinese Communist Party has been doing in Hong Kong. That's very disturbing. And it shows the influence that the CCP has within the UN, because that would be the body where you would address a violation of a a treaty like that. That's the voice of Mike McCall, Congressman 10th District of Texas. He's our special guest. Stay tuned for segment four of The Takeout in just a second. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. You're enjoying The Takeout as you do each and every week on all sorts of platforms, podcast platforms, Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124, more than 70 radio stations around the country, and of course, on CBSN. Mike McCall is our guest. He is the ranking Republican on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Congressman 10th District of Texas, continuing our conversation about China Huawei, uh, tell my audience what it is, why the U.S. is concerned about it, and why it's important that Britain reversed itself and has taken Huawei out of its 5G, excuse me, 5G preparation process. I think Great Britain made the right decision. They're, they're what we call one of the five eyes, uh, these five countries that we um, have an intelligence, uh, very close relationship with. The reason why that's so important, you know, Huawei is their telecommunications giant out of of China, state subsidized, but from a 
national security standpoint, very important because as they go in with their Belt and Road Initiative to developing nations, uh, they do undercut us from a, in a price war on telecom 5G. We've got to be more competitive with China on all things, whether it be artificial intelligence, quantum, and 5G. Uh, we're having major discussions. I met with Larry Kudlow on this issue. Uh, we're going to have a DOD spectrum now being uh, leased to uh, 5G so we can have more of an upper hand over the Chinese. But why is it important? That's a great question. When they plant 5G down, when they plant their Huawei systems in, they then control all of the data. It's a complete surveillance program. Just like they monitor WeChat in China, uh, everything that goes through the Huawei networks, everything in the, that 5G space is really sucked up into a vacuum that uh, the Chinese Communist Party uh, control. Uh, they've, they've done major thefts of large uh, hum, uh, data from healthcare companies to you know, 23 million security clearances, including my own. Uh, but the Huawei thing is the most dangerous one. We try to tell developing nations that it's not to your advantage to allow them to come in and steal all your data. But when I, we saw it starting to come into a 5i country, that very much got our concern. I had a lot of discussions uh, with the secretary, their Secretary of Defense uh, urging them not to do this. And I was pleased to see them change course, but we also have to compete with China and these developing nations where they're planning Huawei down all in uh, African continent, but also in Latin America. And with the debt traps they form with Belt and Road, they also take over uh, their ports like Sri Lanka, Djibouti. They're down in the Panama Canal. They have ports down there. You know, Roosevelt built it, Carter gave it back, and now the Chinese have ports on either side. Uh, and are you prepared, Congressman, to break the hearts of all sorts of young Americans and celebrities by saying TikTok has to go also? <laughs> I, you know, it, it's yet another. Everything you put on TikTok is, goes into their da data. It's um, China's. A big like that. China's. The Chinese Communist Party, the state, and the, the state controls everything in China. And they, uh, the military and civil fusion, it's all. Which real. should we block it? Should we ban it? Should we do something to discontinue U.S. participation and or use of it? Well, on the national defense authorization, you're seeing a very bipartisan amendment to certainly ban it within our, you know, that's the first step, right? Is to ban it within our United States military. We did that with 5G uh, last time, and now we're doing it with TikTok. Um, I, you know, look, my kids have used it. I think everyone's children, it's very popular. Um, and I, I warn my children and I warn others that all that is, is within the, the grasp of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so be careful. And I think, yeah, there's a tendency with the new generation, they're very lax about it. They, I don't think they really care. Um, and they almost assume that everything they, they do is, is being, um, you know, is being, con you know, controlled or surveilled. But, this goes right to the Chinese Communist Party. So you mentioned the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, there was an amendment there about the naming currently of military installations for Confederate war heroes. Presidents opposed to that. Presidents opposed to monuments to Confederate war heroes, quote unquote, being taken down. The leader of your conference in the House today 
Kevin McCarthy introduced legislation that says if localities don't protect monuments, they will lose federal funding. You in favor of that? Well, you know, this is a tough issue for the American people. I, I you know, look, um, in the NDAA is a provision that we will um, have a, a, I think it's a three-year uh, or maybe one-year study on the naming of military bases after Confederate heroes. Um, and I think that 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 has merit to it. And I think that's going to pass in a bipartisan way. Um, when it comes to the taking down of statues, um, you know, look, I, I might, you know, where I live on Capitol Hill, Lincoln Park's there, and they were going to tear down Abraham Lincoln's statue, uh, which to me, at least the Confederate issue makes some sense, but tearing down Abraham Lincoln is somehow being a racist when he actually signed the Emancipation Proclamation seems to me going a little overboard. And, you know, I just would er, urge caution that we don't want total anarchy and chaos tearing down all statues. And the thing I had the biggest issue with it, and I'll be honest with you, and I was on this really cool uh, uh, conference like this with Roger Daltrey talking about childhood cancer, which is a big issue of mine. And even he said, you know, I got, I really have a problem with erasing history. You know, they're there to learn. It's not a proud chapter in our history. It's a very dark chapter in American history. But to say to erase it as a, from the history books itself would be nothing short of what Marxist Leninists did or the Nazis did burning books. And I think that kind of crosses a line where I'm a little disturbed about Erasing our history totally, I think we have to learn from the mistakes of the past. This was obviously the greatest, you know, sin of our founding fathers. And we have to learn from that, not tear down George Washington or Thomas Jefferson. So if you were advising the president, and in this conversation you have the opportunity to do so, would you tell him to just back off on the whole Confederate issue, at least as it relates to the National Defense Authorization Act, don't make a big deal out of this one-year process to look at renaming military installations because you're going to get overridden. You're not going to succeed on that. Yeah, and I think the compromise they worked out in the Armed Services Committee was the right one. Uh, It was a bipartisan compromise, um, and it passed out of the committee uh, unanimously. I don't want to feed the fires and the flames on this. There's a lot of racial tension. It was not just all about George Floyd. I think that one case opened up um, a Pandora's box of racial tension that I think has been sitting in the country for quite some time. I wrote an op-ed with my Houston mayor, who's an African Democrat, uh, African-American Democrat, and we talked in that op-ed that this is not a time for violence, that the First Amendment protects the rightful, you know, right to protest. It goes back to the founding of this nature, uh, nation, but it does not protect violence. And we, we talk, talked about the speech that Robert Kennedy gave in 1968 after Martin Luther King was assassinated. I think that speech is as relevant today as it was in 1968. And what he said was very interesting. What we need now is not violence. But what we need now is healing as a nation. I don't want to flame the, the you know, the, the fires of, you know, racism in this country. I think what we need now is leadership at the top that can heal the nation of the sin dating back to our founding fathers 
and trying to bring the country together and not divide it anymore. I think people are tired of this divisiveness on both sides of the aisle. What they want to see are effective members that work across the aisle to get good things done for the American people, not pander to the base all the time. My advice to the president is you got the base. Let's work on middle of America. Let's work on mainstream America because that's how you win elections. And it's the right thing to do. That's the voice of Mike McCall. Congressman, Republican, 10th District of Texas, ranking Republican House Foreign Affairs Committee. For our radio audience, we have to depart. But for those on CBSN and the podcast platform, stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. Our guest, Congressman Mike McCall, 10th District of Texas, ranking Republican House Foreign Affairs Committee. For those of you who are listening to the main show, this is kinda, we're going to continue the conversation for just a bit before we get to the real fun and games. Congressman, as we were departing the last segment, you said we need to have leaders who heal. That is not terminology typically associated with President Trump. Is he the healer the country needs from your perspective on these racial issues? I mean, again, that would be my advice. It would have been my advice. From this. I think uh, he had a golden opportunity to take the high road and, and try to bring the nation together and, and heal the nation. I think the nation needs a lot of healing right now. And it's too divisive and it's too polarized politically. Um, and I don't think a lot of people like it. Uh, to be honest with you. And I think, you know, that was a missed opportunity that he had. I think Ivanka and others would um, probably present a different messaging. Um, and um, I, I go back to that Robert Kennedy speech in 68. To me, that to me that uh, is timeless. So um, this is the more fun and games portion of our program. I want to give you the three threshold questions. Each and every guest for now going on more than three and a half years has been asked and they've answered. The audience loves the answers because it gives them a sense of who they've been listening to for the better part of an hour. So in no particular order, most influential book in your life, all-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies, and if you're going to indulge yourself musically, meaning putting those earbuds to really good use... What kind of music, artist, or genre are you most likely to listen to? Yeah, well, I'll take on the uh, last one. I, I, I'm kind of a rock and roller. I grew up, uh, you know, my brothers were, you know, kind of like in the 60s, growing up with the, the Beatles, you know, Bob Dylan, The Who. Uh, it was really cool to be on, on a, a thing like this with Roger Daltrey, the legend of, you know, rock and roll. been listening to a lot of uh, like Stephen Stills? Yeah, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure which Roger yeah. Daltrey you were talking about. I'm glad to know it was the, the Roger Daltrey, the one and the, only the Roger Daltrey. And, uh, that was a lot of fun. And you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. But favorite book? Okay, you just you set me up. I got to give a plug for my latest book, Better Angels with Sadie Keller. It's all about our childhood cancer experience uh, through the eyes of a 13 year old, 12 year old. And all the work these kid lobbyists did to get major legislation passed. My current reading, uh, A 100-Year Marathon by Michael Pillsbury, number one bestseller on how we got duped by China over decades. He was a CIA officer, changed his tune. Uh, favorite movie, I'd have to say, of all time, I just think The Gladiator with Russell Crowe. One of the, the, I mean, it's some pretty gory scenes, but probably one of the most powerful 
uh, sort of evoking images, um, going back to the Roman Empire, uh, how a man struggled with his own governance and overcame it. Um, you know, literally uh, fighting, you know, his uh, emperor in the ring and turning uh, Rome back to a republic. Uh, and then the final ending of the movie, going back to his wife and children. I've got five children. Three of them are triplets. I have identical twin girls and a boy. And Major, I'm going to be an empty nester in about a month from now. Mm -hmm. We're kind of looking forward to that. Right. Well, you and I are almost exactly the same age. We were born the same year, 1962. I'm an empty nester. Yeah. My three kids are gone. Uh, it's a transition you can make. I, I tell you uh, that there are parts of it that give you plenty of pangs about that which you no longer have. But there are lots of opportunities. And there's lots of time you'll suddenly discover that you have that you didn't have before. So it's not all bad. Um, before I let you go, uh, in addition to politics and policy, uh, what do you think the direction of the country is when it comes to, and it's something you mentioned when we were talking about China, artificial intelligence, what are its directions, what are its benefits, what are its scary downsides? Well, technology... Big topic, I know. Yeah, technology is phenomenal and, and like the internet and great things about the internet but technology is, is um, I, I would say uh, it, it doesn't take sides I mean technology is agnostic when it comes to manipulation so it can be used for very good purposes it can be used for evil purposes and so right down the street out of the Army Futures Command which does all the research and development for the United States military working with our tech here in Austin and the University but AI is really fascinating. This is the future. It's a future of warfare as well. It'll be less human warfare and more machine uh, warfare. And that's where it can be used in a, you know, from a defense standpoint, but also, also if the Chinese Communist Party get it, it could be used for bad purposes. The quantum computing, whoever gets there first will control. It's like a, the, the space race to the moon. This is a race to control digital space. And whoever gets there first will control digital space. But quantum can also, you can feed problems into it through supercomputing and get unbelievable solutions to our, the problems of our day, including things like COVID-19. So I, I just, you know, my grandmother went from horse and buggy to automobile to a man on the moon. I think our generation and the next one is going to see an explosive uh, change in a generation way when it comes to advances in technology. And it's very exciting, I think. Who's uh, leading the race toward quantum computing? Uh, Chinese are catching up. They're investing. You know, unlike us, we don't, we don't state subsidize. I think in some respects we need to have public-private partnerships investing in research and development. But the Chinese are catching up, and we can't afford to lose that one. That's a conversation we will have again in another venue. Congressman, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Stay well. Thanks for the time. And uh, for those of you, CBSN, everywhere else, we'll see you next week. Thanks for watching and listening and enjoying The Takeout. Thanks, Major, and stay safe. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanen, Grace Seegers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio.
If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.